on that note, I guess we kind of want to ask you what you guys think about bucket lists. Like, I think that's what you're going to hear about in this podcast later on. What's your opinion on them? Do you have one or do you not believe in them either? Like, yeah. us? Do you want to try every toilet in every country <laughs> in the world? Do you want to eat crickets in Asia? What do you want to do? Let us know. Yeah. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a fortnightly series looking at unfamiliar places around the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the barefoot backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Happy New Year. Not just if you're Iranian, as we've recently just passed Nowruz, the Persian New Year that happens on the vernal equinox, on or around the 21st of March, but also traditionally in England and Wales. 25th of March, Lady Day in Catholic terminology, the Feast of the Annunciation, when Gabriel visited Mary to tell her that being a virgin was no barrier to having a kid, the only time this excuse has ever worked. And that was the start of the New Year. Not the new calendar year, rather it was more of a financial thing. It was the traditional starting date for annual tenancies and work contracts, especially and particularly in agriculture, and thus also the date by which the previous year's financial affairs need to be finalised. Interestingly, it still is. Sort of. When we adopted the Gregorian calendar in 1752 and lost 11 days in the September, this contract start date moved to April the 6th, to ensure that no one lost out by having a contract year that year that only lasted 355 days. And it still is. This is why the UK's tax year starts on such an otherwise really weird date. Anyway, I have a rare factual update to bring you. In my last episode, on snow, I mentioned that the world record for the fastest half-marathon run barefoot on ice or snow had been broken, well, smashed, by Jonas Seveldrud in a time of 1.44.58. Well... Since that episode was broadcast, the record has potentially been broken again. Karim El Hayani in Quebec ran 136.45. Unlike Seveldrud, El Hayani is much more accustomed to barefoot running. Growing up in Spain, he ran barefoot by default and kept it up even when he moved to Canada. And he feels he could have run even quicker had conditions been more favourable. He mentioned in a post-race interview with Runner's World magazine that it was slightly too cold and icy for him to feel truly comfortable. And in slightly warmer and snowier conditions, he hopes to break 1 hour 25 later in the year. That's not one for my bucket list, but that's a discussion for later. Hmm, anyway. I don't know about you, but I've had a particularly mixed fortnight. Personally, it's been great. A list of tiny joys I created for a friend of mine included a great deal of positive things. The most important of which is that I finally managed to book in a date to go down to London and record my voice in a proper recording studio. Covid willing, obviously. I'll be doing this on April the 9th. Those of you who are following England's Covid lockdown plan, a document that feels about as coherent as the one I'm reading this podcast off, will note that this is before the expected large relaxation of rules on the 12th. This is vaguely annoying as it means that my trip will be a simple pop-down, do-the-thing, meet a friend in a park rather than a pub, and get the train back 
all in one day, rather than doing things like going to a pub or staying overnight. But the latter isn't feasible until mid-May, and while the pubs are due to reopen on the 12th, they'll be outdoor seating only. And because so few pubs have outdoor seating, because, you know, Britain, they're likely to be rammed with people and or require booking. Also, perhaps relatedly, the train prices were significantly cheaper on the nights. And I wanted to go down sooner rather than later, because obviously the earlier I get this done, the sooner I can make use of it. I didn't want to go down too soon, though, and break lockdown regulations. Not that that seems to be a problem for people of my demographic, it appears. Uh, people like me are ruining this country. I could go on a complete rant about double standards, about the way the government and the police have particular variants on who gets the right to protest, on how the law applies more strongly to some than others, but this seems to be a problem the world over, and was ever thus. As a reminder, though, last year, two episodes of my podcast covered a guide to your first protest, and an overview on times when protests have changed England's politics. It might be an idea to keep them in mind going forward. You may know, by the way, that our current government are trying to implement laws heavily restricting the right to protest. It won't end well. And you can interpret that observation how you wish. But anyway, we're talking tiny joys. And last week, one tiny joy I had related to this very podcast. A small milestone was reached. Across all of the episodes, this podcast has been downloaded over 10,000 times. And while I've been on podcasts that get those kind of downloads in a month... I did read elsewhere this week that achieving as few as 150 downloads per episode puts you in the top 50% of podcasts, so that's definitely something for me to cheer about. So I thank you all for downloading and sticking with me for all of this time. The only other thing to say is that Sunday Just Gone was Census Day, and, after having filled in hundreds of the bloody things in test over the past few months, actually filling it in for real was a bit of an anticlimax. And it took far less time than it did in test too. Hmm. But let me go back to COVID. Almost exactly a year ago, in early April 2020, I did an episode of my podcast, episode 21, on travel hopes. This was where I asked my friends what they hoped to happen over the year, and whether the concept of lockdown had changed how they thought about future travel. Needless to say, it's clear with hindsight that we were being a bit too optimistic, even then. Future historians will look back on that episode as a great indicator on how we were feeling at the start of the pandemic. My personal travel hopes haven't changed, oddly, and were it not for the financial crisis I had over summer, I may even have got round to doing one or two of the Scottish ones. But not the trip to Ireland, obviously. As it is, though, I'll be happy to have any kind of experience this year. Even I'm starting to get stir-crazy. Ah, but we'll see. Now, this brings me on to the topic of this episode, which I also alluded to earlier. Bucket lists. Long-time listeners will know that this was the topic of my third ever episode, so it's always been something on my mind. What you may not know is that I consider that episode to be one of my worst. I created it in New Zealand at the start of a long backpacking trip of a couple of months. It also encompassed my trips to Vanuatu, Australia and Sri Lanka. And I had so many problems with the episode, from recording and editing it on a low-powered tablet-style laptop, to the uploaded file having a huge error in it that I never spotted until someone told me, to not including all of the contrips because I'd managed to lose one, that I didn't do another pod on the whole of that trip. I also didn't think it flowed particularly well. I had an idea in my mind of doing the episode based almost entirely on one of my previous blog posts, and as a result, I don't think it was terribly interesting. It was advertised as bucket lists, but it was more just a list of countries that weren't on it. 
one of which, Philippines, I ended up visiting within a year of issue, and a second, Japan, I would have visited had I not come down with a severe chest infection I mentioned in my previous episode. This, therefore, will be the episode that that one should have been, in hindsight. That's not to say the previous episode isn't valid, just that this one will be more... Well, it'll be better anyway, I promise. Pinky promise. But first, what is a bucket list? The origin of the exact term is unclear, but it's believed to be one of those wonderful and cheerful metaphors we British are inordinately fond of. To kick the bucket is a slang term for to die, and has been used since at least the 1700s, referring possibly to dead pigs hanging from a beam, or bucket in Norfolk slang, possibly to the kicking away of the bucket you stand on when you're trying to hang yourself, or possibly even relating to the custom of sprinkling holy water from a bucket laid at a corpse's feet. Regardless, the bucket list became the list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. Another term for dying is feed the tree, but bucket list sounds better than tree list. Maybe. People have always had bucket lists, and they're often used as a way to motivate, as well as to provide optimism about the future. A plan to make you more confident about life as the years go by, and to give you something to look forward to. Give life a good kicking before you reach the bucket. The more I use this metaphor, the weirder it gets. What sort of things appear on bucket lists, then? Here's Rue from Rule of Travel, with a couple of thoughts. When I think about the phrase bucket list, I think of certain activities such as swimming with dolphins, or more adrenaline-based activities like bungee jumping or skydiving. When I was in New Zealand, I actually had a voucher for a free bungee jump, but once I got there, I decided I really don't feel the need to jump off a bridge I'm too young to die. Something that was never on my bucket list was whitewater rafting. My mother had told me my whole life it was far too dangerous, and that was fine with me because for some reason it just didn't appeal. Until I was in Rotorua, New Zealand, where the water is warm, beautifully coloured, really appealing, and I was feeling adventurous. The rapids themselves weren't too violent, but the seven metre waterfall drop was what made the rafting grade five. I booked it on an impulse, and I must say I'm really glad that I did. Whenever I look at the photos, I feel really proud of myself overcoming that fear. However, I am never doing it again. In my 20s, I was happy to do abseiling, paragliding, other such things. But as I've got older, my bucket list has become more destination-based, with the exception of gentle activities like swimming with manatees. That would be nice. But I doubt I'll be throwing myself out of a plane anytime soon. As an aside, Rue pointed out to me that she likes the fact that whenever she appears on my pod, she's always near the end. Well, sorry Rue, not this time. When people think of bucket lists, they often do so in too vague, whatever the division of a bucket is. Chamber? Pot? But not a chamber pot, that's something very different. And I guess what happens when your bucket list experiences go to, well, pot or shit. Either way. But yes, they tend to concentrate either on places or on experiences. It's very often... I always wanted to go to China, or I've always wanted to do a parachute jump. That said, there's very often an overlap. People who have made it a life goal to ride in a hot air balloon rarely choose to do it over Barnsley, instead making it coincide with a trip to Bagan or Cappadocia. For one thing, the weather's better. My ex bought a red-letter day bucket experience to ride in a hot air balloon somewhere of Nottinghamshire. Two years and many cancellations later, she swapped it for a two-night hotel stay at Loch Fine. Now, 
Obviously, in a time of pandemic and lockdown, it's a great opportunity to think about places and experiences we want to have when we're all allowed to travel again across the world as we'd like and as we used to be able to. It provides us with a sense of what and where we feel is important to us, and also, if we only get one chance to do something before the next pandemic hits, what we would choose to do. The one thing that's certainly true about this situation is, it's a bit like how we tend to view death, generically. Like, we all know we're all going to die, but equally we all know we're unlikely to die tomorrow, or indeed at any point in the short term. So we have a tendency to believe that everything will always continue, as it always has done. So when a pandemic or other such huge restriction comes, it really knocks our assumptions and our belief that we'll always have these options. What may then happen as a result is people start to prioritise. So when we come out of the pandemic, I'm pretty sure many people will have a specific list and will be actively aiming to do them, just in case they never get another chance to. Other people, though, are thinking more domestically. They're taking the likely inability to travel abroad in the short term, even once lockdown restrictions have eased, and turning it into a desire to visit places more local to where they live, which they may not have considered, because often people don't think about holidaying close to home. Someone who is thinking that way is Sarah, the urban wanderer. Bucket lists are a bit of a funny thing this year, I suppose. While there are things I'd love to do, like cycle around the Netherlands or revisit Berlin, I think realistically it's more about experiences I can have in the UK. So while it might sound a bit weird, I think my bucket list is pretty simple. It's just to walk every street that I've never been on. One of the things I'm most looking forward to at the moment is taking a train to Birmingham, which from Manchester is not a massive distance, but I received a Pevsner guide for architecture for there, so I'm looking forward to just pounding the streets and walking somewhere different. I've been doing that through lockdown and I've discovered so many different places. It's stupidly exciting for me. And I think it's nice to share these different things with people. But it does make my bucket list quite affordable and easy to access. So just heading to a different city, following my nose and finding what's going on there is a a super way for me to spend my time. I think experiences really are important and... While it might seem a bit odd just visiting other cities in the UK and nearby, with everybody dashing off to try and take trips abroad, I feel like the tourist areas are going to be really busy. And I'm not really a fan of those sorts of places anyway. So if I can duck down a back street or down near some water or somewhere lesser trodden, I think it's a lot more interesting than to just take the same photos as someone else. I must interject myself at this point to say bucket lists shouldn't be confused with tick lists. The two are related, but I'd potentially argue the desire to visit every country in the world, for example, becomes more a tick box exercise than an actual motivational tool. If it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium, as the film title goes. I say that because one item on my own bucket list is to visit every county in the UK, and it's the one I've had since I was in my early 20s. Unlike most people with this or a similar aim, though, I define the county as top-tier administrative area, so not to traditional or ceremonial counties. Now I'm going for counties, metropolitan boroughs, unitary authorities, London boroughs. There's an awful lot of them, and they keep creating them, which means I find it really hard to keep up. On the flip side, many of them are very small, so while everywhere is interesting, it's definitely conceivable to visit the most interesting and notable spots of several in the space of one weekend as I'll probably demonstrate in a future part about South Yorkshire. Also note, of course, my second ever podcast episode was on hometown travel, so maybe I was just well ahead of the curve there. 
Plus, even without the pandemic, I'd planned to do things like hiking in Scotland and visiting some more islands, notably the Inner Hebrides, the Orkneys and the Isle of Man. I guess the ongoing world situation is providing me with the perfect opportunity to do some of these things. With regard to world geography, though, as you know, in 2019, I did an interrail trip across much of Europe, whose routing seemed to involve ever-increasing circles rather than just one loop, because this is me we're talking about, and at one point I even did a Twitter poll to ask if I should head north or south. The poll returned a 50-50 split, so I'm not doing that again. But anyway, one of the reasons for doing the trip was that many years ago I'd set myself the task to visit every country in Europe. The actual task was to visit every European capital city, but let's not split hers in hindsight. And for a number of reasons, only some of them related to international politics, this seemed to be a good time to tick off a number of them. Obviously, I spent longer than just the swift passing through. I tried to have a beer in every single one of them, at least. But while I was on the trip, I ended up thinking about why I travelled, and whether going forward I'd travel differently. I realised I was creeping into the territory of visiting places because I could to tick them off, rather than because I wanted to. Everywhere is interesting, but some places hold more of an appeal than others and I began to think about a list of places around the world I actively wanted to visit, rather than just places that sounded good. As a result, the number of actual places on what might be deemed my bucket list dropped substantially. I'm definitely more about the experiences than the places, though, so rather than visiting countries because they seem interesting, I have more active reasons to choose to visit places, and I think in my head I have two kinds of desires. Firstly, places which are unique. Bolivia is the number one place on my hit list, has been for nearly 10 years, and one day I might actually make it. There's enough there that I can't see easily anywhere else in one trip. High mountains, salt plains, rainforests, wetlands, plus specific history, Che Guevara's death amongst other things, plus a different culture. Specific history is also what attracts me to El Salvador, because everybody enjoys visiting the legacy of fights between a US-backed military dictatorship and a communist-funded guerrilla movement, don't they? On a completely different note, Climbing the Nyamuragira volcano is honestly, honestly, why Democratic Republic of Congo is on my hit list. And similarly, I want to return to Indonesia to visit Mount Tambora, another volcano with historical notoriety. It was indirectly responsible for Mary Shelley to write Frankenstein. A couple of leading literary figures of the time, and Lord Byron, went on a jolly to Switzerland, but the weather was so bad because of the effect of the Tambora eruption that they sat around and wrote ghost stories. For his part, Byron wrote a few paragraphs about vampires. It was left to John Polidori to take these scraps and invent the entire literary vampire genre from it. Then there's St Helena, one of the last vestiges of the British Empire, which itself is a draw to think about what it was and what is in terms of history, in terms of what it means to be British. And its own history, it's, for example, where Napoleon Bonaparte and many other people who fought against the British ended up. And it means it started to intrigue me somewhat more than it did. Then the Sudan, with its pyramids. I'm aware Egypt has pyramids, but the ones in Sudan seem more... Well, there's more of them, for a start. And they're also less touristed, so I feel like they loom more how they were intended to. Finally, there's things like being on a boat on the Gambia River and the Sangha River. The latter involves crossing a lesser-travelled international border, which I'm always up for. And while going on safari isn't on my bucket list, because, as discussed many times, I'm not an animal person... That route does take me past the Zanga Sanga Special Reserve, which seems to be definitely worth the visit for the cultural aspects as well as the biodiversity. The other desire is that of comparing and contrasting. So, having been to Polynesia and Melanesia, I want to visit somewhere in Micronesia, probably Kiribati, to get a feel for the different culture and style between the three. 
I'd like to visit Pakistan to, again, see the similarities and difference with Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. I also obviously still have a strong passion for places that don't exist. So comparing, say, Abkhazia and Georgia, or Somaliland and Somalia, and Bielefeld and the rest of Germany. There's only about ten people listening to this who will get that reference. But hey, everyone relevant loves a good in-joke. In short, I have to have a reason for being somewhere that matches my interests, be they geographic, cultural, or most likely historical. They also have to be, well, accessible, for want of a better word, be that in terms of cost, logistics, or simply weighing up experiences and locations against each other. Like several of my friends, hello Kate Frankie, have been to Antarctica. It's been a place to visit on their bucket lists for years, and finally had a chance to go. It's not on mine, simply because I feel I can get a similar vibe in easier and cheaper, if not necessarily much cheaper, ways like Svalbard, Franz Josefland or Greenland. I mean, all right, there are no penguins, but there are polar bears, so all I'd be doing is swapping one animal for another. Plus the sea crossing would be less uh, onerous. When it comes to specific experiences, though, that's where I tend not to really have a particular list. Like I mentioned just now, I have some concepts like climbing more volcanoes or crossing obscure borders or boating down rivers but I don't have many of the true bucket list experiences that many people have. I'm talking the likes of adrenaline activities like bungee jumping, parachute jumping, white water rafting, of the kind that Rue talked about earlier. Indeed, one might say they would belong on my anti-bucket list, things that I would never do regardless of circumstance. My episode 3 podcast was all about the anti-bucket list, but specifically with regards to places. And while small hot islands are still on that list, that's mainly for experiential reasons. Like, I can't swim despite Laura's best efforts when we travel to Philippines. As I mentioned, itself one of the places on my anti-bucket list. So concepts like swimming with manatees or diving the Great Barrier Reef would also feature on my would-never-do list, even though they would be on many other people's. Many people also have visiting specific sites on their bucket lists, like Borobudur or Machu Picchu or the Colosseum in Rome. I kind of used to think this way, and certainly when I've plotted ideas for trips in the past, I've made sure I've drawn up a routing that includes certain places specifically, But most of the time for me, it's not so much that I choose to go to places because of what's there. It's more I think of a place to go and see what's there that I might find interesting. The ruins at Great Zimbabwe, for instance, were never on my bucket list in the sense that it wasn't a place I'd specifically marked down as one I needed to go. But I knew that if I ever did do a trip to that part of the world, it would be a place I'd certainly make the effort to see. And so it proved. In terms of places I'd noted down as being absolute bucket list spots, the only ones I can think of offhand were Chernobyl, the Aral Sea, and Timor-Leste, all because they were places I'd known about for many years, growing up with news stories and documentaries from when they were still inaccessible. But experiences can be more mundane as well. Some people may have a learn a foreign language on their bucket list, for instance. It's kind of on mine, but with the proviso that ADHD brain mixed with gifted child upbringing and social anxiety leads to huge imposter syndrome on that score. I'd love to be able to speak foreign languages, but I... It would take far more work for me to manage it than I think it would take for most people because my own brain would put up huge blocks to it, either consciously or accidentally. I keep meaning to try, but things get in the way. Spanish, for the record. Followed by Russian, then either Gallic, Hindustani or Swahili. You know, languages I'm actually going to use when I'm travelling. Then, of course, there's running. At the start of 2020, I wrote on my activity list that I wanted to work my way up to do a marathon and possibly then to start trying ultra running. Due to circumstances, I never managed even a half marathon. And even in my training runs, the longest I managed was a nine mile loop around the northern Sheffield suburbs. 
I still aim to do it one day, though. But not barefoot over ice and snow, just for the record. Barefoot, though, yes, obviously. Which does mean choosing my event very carefully. In the back of my mind, though, it is true that breaking a world record would be a fun thing to have on a bucket list. I'm not sure what, though. In my teenage years, I read that the world record for pushing someone in a shopping trolley for an hour was about 11.6 kilometres, which at the time was probably within my ability range, but almost certainly not now, and in any case I couldn't find a record of it on the official world record site. I did find world records for running distances with a £20 backpack, which is about 9 kilograms, but after the ripped toenail incident on The Hike, I'm wary of running while wearing any kind of backpack, not that I ever really felt comfortable running with a backpack anyway. One might argue getting a book polished would be on my bucket list, but I think it'd say it was more of a life goal in the same way that living abroad might be. It's not something to tick off a list, more it's something you become. It's not something you do, more something you are. Like being well respected enough to be the contact point for journalists and a resourceful knowledge base on a given topic. It's not really a bucket list item, more an achievement to work towards. And that resource doesn't have to even be particularly important, like the friend of mine in Coventry who was BBC Radio WM's go-to point of contact for all things related to guinea pigs. Another one of my weird, I suppose you'd call it a bucket list item, was I wanted to watch an international football match between two countries that had nothing to play for and would never win anything. And on my interrail trip in 2019, I actually managed it. I watched Liechtenstein draw one all with Armenia. Referring back to the introduction, I've been to the toilet in every country in the world I've been to. I mean, it would be kind of hard not to, really. Though obviously not to every toilet, not even in Monaco. Oh wait, did I even go to the toilet in Monaco? Maybe I even failed that one. And I couldn't, for instance, make a blog post on the best toilets around the world. There is a loo with a view on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, but when you're actually in the loo sitting down, you can't see a thing. Maybe there's a market for that. Who knows? And I've eaten crickets in Southeast Asia. Nicely deep fried. Tasted like the dregs of a KFC bargain bucket. Six out of ten. Would snack on again. Think of them a bit like a protein-laden twiglet. Anyway, bucket lists also don't have to be to do with hobbies and interests anyway. The concept is equally as valid in your professional life. Here's Jodie Patterson talking about a career bucket list. So I don't have a fun bucket list. I don't have a travel one. I don't have a X amount of things I want to do before I'm a certain age. I have a career bucket list. It's very practical. I use it to motivate myself. The only reason I put it together is because I, I sometimes lacked motivation when I wasn't getting forward with my life. But now I use it to create smaller goals to get to the bigger ones on my bucket list. The kind of stuff you can expect on there is I want to work in this industry doing this. So I want to work at a radio station doing research. And then how I'm going to work my way up, all the things I want to do. I've got many interests, so it helps me kind of whittle them down and see what I can do when. I've managed to tick two things off that bucket list. One of them was to work for a newspaper and the other was to work for a travel company. Quite small goals, but I got there, and I did it, and now I'm working towards other goals. There's definitely a few career goals I will not be putting on that list, and that is working at a butcher's as I'm a vegetarian. I actually almost got a job doing telesales for a butcher's and turned it down. Some people, though, have a much vaguer idea of their bucket lists. For example, here's Kate Frankie from This Could Lead to Anywhere, talking about the fact her bucket list is more of an introspective concept. I banned her from mentioning Antarctica. 
So for bucket list experiences, I think I've actually been incredibly lucky that I've been able to do so many amazing things and see so many great things. But really, I think it's going to have a lot to do with nature coming up. So I've got this kind of idea of an Amazon kind of trip that I want to do as my next really, really big kind of thing. But I also want to go to Canada and just see some of the amazing bits like the Rockies. And I keep seeing this picture of like Lake Louise and I, I want to kind of go there. And But I think it's more actually the experience is that I want to kind of grow as a person and I'm almost kind of trying to find my balance and well-being and really the big experiences are part of me kind of either challenging myself or kind of centering myself that you're kind of trying to get back home yourself (laughs) in a, a strange kind of internal way that kind of really feeling comfortable with myself and that's what I get through travel and I think that's why travel is such an important thing for me. So anything where I can explore more about myself and become more the person that I want to be is kind of the bucket list experience. That's very like intangible <laughs> kind of thing um to talk about. She also makes an important point. Many people listening to this pod may not realise it, but y'all are privileged. It's not a bad thing, don't worry. I did a whole episode on it, episode 25, and in comparison to episode 3 being the one I like the least, the one on privilege is probably my most favourite. Many of us are incredibly lucky to be in a position where we can make bucket lists in the first place, let alone have them be dedicated to travel experiences. Someone who references that point, as well as going on to talk about much more conceptual bucket list items, is my author friend Victoria Pearson. The other day, Barefoot said to me that they were planning on doing a piece specifically on people's bucket lists and asked me if I'd like to contribute, to which I obviously said, but I haven't got a passport. I don't know why that was my initial reaction, because I do actually have a bucket list. Passport privilege is something that I have spoken about on this podcast before, and so I won't bore you by going over it again. But for me personally, foreign travel is something that is likely to be out of my reach for quite a long time if not forever and so while I do have some places that I'd like to see on my bucket list places like Vietnam, Morocco, Svalbard but some UK places as well it isn't really something that I focus my bucket list on because then it just becomes this thing that squats in the corner of my journal going ha you'll never be able to do any of this isn't your life depressing and who needs that really I don't so yeah there are some UK based places on my list like sky and there's some sacred sites that i would like to visit and things like that and those are things that i probably will be able to do so they are on my list but most of my bucket list is focused around goal setting instead things that i might actually be able to do things that either really matter to me or things that i just want to do just for the fun of it so for example i had on my list learn an instrument Something that I always wanted to do ever since I was tiny, but just didn't think that I would be able to do. I'm just not a musical person. And just before COVID became a thing, um, it was my birthday and I was bought a little blue ukulele. I've been practising for oh, nearly two years now. 
I'm awful, really, really terrible. I mean, even the dog cries when I play. But I sort of know how to do it now. I can do most of the main notes. I can play pretty much any pop song that I can find the tab for. And so do I cross that off my list now? I'm not sure. I didn't really give myself a specific this is done date for that one. But it was something that I wouldn't have done if it hadn't have been on my bucket list, probably. I'd also like to learn a language um, well enough to be able to have a conversation with a native speaker. I don't really care what language it is, to be honest. Um, I would just like to be able to learn a language. I've dabbled on Duolingo with Russian and Italian and I've learnt a bit of ASL on YouTube, American Sign Language, which was really, really fun. Um, but because I don't get to use these things very much, they do tend to just drop out of my head quite quickly. And so I would like to be able to get to a point where I feel fluent in a language, even if I haven't had a chance to speak it for a little while. That would be great. So those are sort of personal improvement things that are on my bucket list. But I also have some experiences on there that are just on there because I think they would be really fun. Axe throwing being an example of one of those. I found a class near me last year and was going to go and have a go at it, which is good just because it sounds awesome. And also, you know, zombies and stuff. Very helpful to be able to throw an axe, I would gather. But then lockdown happened. So I haven't had a chance to do that. So it's gone on my bucket list. That is something that I'm really quite keen to do, along with things like archery and paragliding and wild swimming. Not things that are particularly useful or particularly valued as experiences, but things that I can do that will be fun just because. And then the rest of my bucket list is made up of things that I would like to achieve, um, which are a bit more concrete and involve sort of a step up of goals um, to get to the big one. For example, those of you that already know me will know that I self-publish short stories and poetry. Um, I would really like for the novels that I've been working on to be traditionally published. And so Get Traditionally Published is on my bucket list. But I also have a separate list of steps to get to that goal, which is things like build up the confidence to actually query maybe finish editing the thing that might help stuff like that another thing that i'd like to do and i don't think i've said this out loud actually i would really like to do tough mudder now at the moment i'm on week one of couch to 5k um, and so there's there's no danger of this happening anytime soon but it is on my goal list it is on my bucket list of things that i would like to eventually do one day so not every bucket list item has to be travel based although even for somebody like me who is unlikely to ever be able to travel there are one or two travel based things in there but for me and maybe for others who don't want to travel or can't see themselves ever being able to travel a bucket list full of things that we would like to achieve instead works just as well. Viva makes an interesting point about some of her bucket list items they're ongoing concepts rather than one-off things Again, this harks back to the idea that sometimes bucket lists can be seen often as a tick box exercise. But if you have aims on your bucket list that are long term and ongoing, can you really be said to have ticked them off? What even counts as having learned a language or a musical instrument? There's whole essays and arguments about that question online and is quite beyond the scope of this podcast. You'll also notice that V has similar view on bucket list items than me. I don't know about the axe throwing, although... On my way to my nearest Aldi in Sheffield, I actually do walk past a place that does offer axe throwing lessons. I've never been in it because I've only ever passed it in lockdown. It might be fun. 
but it's not on my bucket list. One last point to make about bucket lists, though, is that they're not always worth it. Sometimes you have an idea in your head that you want to take off an item on your bucket list, but when it comes to actually doing it, the experience isn't as good as you imagined. Here are Morgan and Pratchy, also known as Alien Eating, who give their take on bucket lists and one experience they had which didn't go to plan but ended up turning into something better instead. First off, I think they're nice, but I also think they can be a little bit of a hindrance um, as far as keeping you on schedule and making sure you get that thing crossed off your bucket list. Yeah. So, for example, we went to Thailand and my number one thing on my bucket list was to ATV through Phuket. Mm -hmm. I love ATVing. I've grown up doing it. I think it would be beautiful. I was so excited. But we got to Phuket. It was packed to the brim with billions of humans. Everyone in the world was in Phuket on that day. <laughs> it, it was hot. It was like not a great time. And it just wasn't fitting into our schedule. Yeah. So uh, we decided, we're, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to give up ATVing. I really want to do it, but we're going to take an overnight bus to Bangkok. Like, this is not our cup of tea. We are not having it. Yeah. And it turned out to be one of the best trips we'd ever yeah. taken. And Bangkok was a thousand times better. And I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't go back and trade it for the world. So I think um, in that sense, bucket lists can be a little bit uh, frustrating because you want to do something and you can't. Get your mind yeah. out of it. Yeah, because you just always, you have like this tunnel vision. Like you can't yeah. focus on anything but getting that one thing crossed off your list. Like you don't take in anything else around you that's happening. Like you don't enjoy the food as much. You don't enjoy like hanging yes. out with the people or like meeting the people around you. Because you're just, that's what you want to do and there's nothing else on your mind. It hinders your flexibility. Mm -hmm. So, and when you're traveling, it's all about being flexible. Exactly. You meet people who invite you places. You see festivals and if you have an appointment to see the Coliseum at 10 a.m., you're just going to want to do that because it's on your bucket list and you need to cross it off. <laughs> you know, like you need to just kind of go with the flow. And I actually yeah. would recommend not even scheduling things yeah. a little bit less yeah. than I would recommend scheduling yeah. things. But uh, they also can be good, though. I think for people that aren't so travel savvy and mm -hmm. they don't really care about traveling as much and you just in life, you're like, I want to see, I want to go to the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Well, it then you can save up money and you can, yeah. you know work towards a goal and that's a little bit better and yeah I think bucket lists are good in that sense they give you something to work towards yeah especially yeah like you said especially for people who don't travel as much one of my travel styles is to be relatively unplanned to book very little in advance and to largely go with the flow and as I said earlier a bucket list is slightly different from the concept of a tick box exercise that you feel you have to do rather I feel bucket lists should be aspirational there's a whole aspect I touched on in a previous pod, episode 17, about mental health, where I talk about the fear of failure. And I do think there's a danger that if you commit to ticking everything off a list, if something happens and you find you can't, rather than enjoying what you've achieved, you might well feel disappointed in yourself and or the world around you that it didn't happen. For my patrons, I've uploaded a further take on this from Kate Frankie again, um, who talks about a major bucket list experience that she had regarding moving to Australia and how it didn't go as well as she'd hoped. So if you're interested, go sign up and have a listen. As I said earlier, Bolivia has been on my mind for so long it's almost like a running joke. Will I be sad if I never get to visit the country? Yes, of course. But if instead of visiting it, I end up having had a whole host of other experiences elsewhere in the world... Will I still feel like it's all been a failure because I didn't do that? No, of course not. We can't do everything before we die. So in some ways, the bucket list will never be completed because there'll always be things to put on it. I guess the secret is to do what you can and make your list as accessible to you as possible. So what have we learned from this episode? Bucket lists are things you should want to do before you die, but you don't have to complete them if you don't want to. And nor should you be scared of not taking everything off or changing it. 
Sometimes you can't even tick them off as they're ongoing concepts rather than one-off events, where the tick might well be simply that you started. They can be as precise or as vague as you like, be as wide or as narrow as you wish, refer to hobby or careers, and no one should judge you for yours. Unless it is to visit every toilet in every country in the world. Which is a bit of a shit idea, to be fair. Well, that's about all for this pod. Join me in another two weeks for another venture beyond the brochure. Though, of course, one could argue brochures are where bucket lists are often created. Mind you, depends what sort of brochure, I guess. I wonder if Luton has a tourist brochure. Anyway, until then, Happy New Year. And if you're feeling off colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Sheffield studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, Bonus, by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. The podcast has a Facebook group, travel.tales.beyond.brochure, and I also have a Patreon for access to rare extra content. It's patreon.com slash traveltalesbeyondbrochurepod. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now. Bye.